Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Morning. And as you know, we've been in a series on unity uh, for a while, and we have expositorily, if that's even a word, uh, gone through the book of Ephesians. And this, of course, is a, is a letter written by Paul to the church he planted in the city of Ephesus. And really so far, we've covered how Paul talked about our personal unity with Christ as the starting point for all unity. We spent quite a bit of time doing that. How many are unified with Christ? Your life lines up with him, who he is, his character, his nature, his word. That's a, how many know that's a, that's a lifetime effort we have to put in for that, right? Every single day. And I, I, uh, that, that's, again, that's where all unity begins. Um, and then we got into talking about unity within the body of Christ, which Paul just kind of, he, he sort of weaves uh, this, this thread of unity throughout his whole letter um, to the church. And, and, and it's for us today. It was for then, for that church then, but it, it's, it's applicable to us today. How many know that that's true? And he, he talks about unity in the body, and he begins to, he shifts from unity and uh, from uh, our personal unity with Christ, I think, into, into unity in the body. And it's kind of a slow shift, but we, we've been going over that. We talked about the gifts, the, the uh, leadership ministry gifts, the five-fold leadership ministry gifts that, that uh, he's given the church. And we talked about some, some new ways of living in the last couple of weeks. And last, actually last week, Pastor Jared did a uh, yeoman's job. Um, you can look that up if you want, but he did a marvelous job, a yeoman's job of of preaching through that first section of chapter five, um, which is where another shift begins. And uh, we were moving away from unity in the body and we're, we're gonna get into for the next few weeks here, unity in the family, unity in the home. And I think it's so important. So we have the beginning of unity, we have unity in the body of Christ, we have unity in the family, you, you see those things, that's today, we're, we're getting started with that. So. So let's read this, and I'm, I'm going to do um, something that I don't normally do from the pulpit. Uh, is that okay? You don't even know what it is. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to read this from this next passage of Scripture from the message version. And in doing so, I put it back on you to study this out for yourselves from an official translation. And I, I think you'll find that there's really no difference here. Um, the message is an accurate paraphrase version of the Bible, and that means it takes the meanings of the original words and tries to capture what the author intended. Uh, a literal translation like the ESV or the NASB, um, they take the original words and translate them into other, another language like English. And uh, they are considered to be very accurate and you are always able to trace back to the original Greek and Hebrew words and verify the authenticity of the translation. Paraphrase versions are a little different. They're, they're a little more devotional. And, and yet, like the Living Bible is a paraphrased version. It's very accurate, yet we don't consider it uh, accurate enough to call it a translation. And so does that make sense to y'all? So uh, this, uh, this portion of scripture in the message version is paraphrased beautifully, and it takes, the, the Paul, it takes Paul's original words and their intended meanings in the Greek, and it paraphrases them in a way that brings some wonderful insight and understanding to them. Um, and before I read it, I, I just got to ask, how important is it for us to have unity in our home? I mean, oneness in our home. 
how wonderful would it be to have that kind of unity that we've been talking about for weeks within our home. Hopefully your home is comprised of individuals who love God and are individually unified with Christ themselves. I, I know that that's probably not the case for a lot of us. That is the beginning of all, uh, all our unity and all of our, and un, beginning of unity in all of our relationships, of course. But I, I do realize that that's not the case sometimes. But to be unified with those in our household, if those that make up our family, it truly is something that can be accomplished and gone after. And, and understand, I, I, I think in today's time, we, we, we sort of, some of us have sort of given up on that, right? We, we've just said, well, that can't happen. You know, my, my, my husband doesn't love God, my wife doesn't love God or whatever, or my kids don't serve God. And um, I'm ringing just a little bit on a high end if you just pull that back a little bit. Uh, I, I, I think we, we sort of throw it out there like, well, that's a nice sounding thing, but I, I just don't think it's possible anymore. Can I tell you that it is possible? And those of you that are just starting out with families, you need this message because you want to build something where your family has unity within. And, and those of you that maybe have lost some of that unity because of individual choice, and we know everybody has a choice, I'm telling you, God still does the impossible, and he can still bring your family back to him in relationship, if, if that's your case. I just don't want to leave anybody out today, right? And I know there's some of you that live alone, and for whatever reason, and I don't want to leave you out today either. I want to, I want to let you know that, that this message is important for you as well, because you have an extended family, probably, and even if you don't, if you're just all alone, and there's people like that, right? They have no extended family. They have no immediate family. They just live alone. If, if that's you this morning, or if you're online today, and, and you can, uh, uh, I'm going to pull this down because I'm still ringing. There we go. Um, but if you're, if you're online viewing with us today, and, and that's you, and, and, and you're hearing this from just for whatever reason, I, I want to say to you that it's still important it's still important for you to understand that, that the unity that God wants us to have in the family, is that, that, that message is for you too. Because you can at least share that with others. You can at least know his plan and, uh, and hope for it for yourself. I, I just think the word of God covers everybody all the time. And sometimes we, we just say, well, that's not for me or that's not for me. It's for all of us all the time, amen? amen. The word of God is all, for all of us all the time. So, so don't feel like this is leaving you out if, if you're in a unique family situation. But um, to be unified with those in our household, to those that make up the family, it's, it's truly something that can be accomplished. And when those within your household, your family, um, that, those that, may, that make up your family, when, you're, when your family is unified, when they are one, when they agree, it becomes the very foundation of your home being the oasis from the world that we all need. A unified home is one where everyone is basically on the same page. And that's a beautiful thing. Because how many know it's, it's it, at least about the big things I'm talking about, how many know it, it, you're gonna have disagreements, right? You're gonna have uh, things that you, that you don't totally agree on. I'm, I'm talking about the big stuff. And when you can come together, when you can walk into your home and it's, it's an atmosphere of agreement and oneness, at least on the big stuff, that, is, that makes your home an oasis. It makes it a place of rest. It makes it a wonderful place. That kind of unity within the family and within the home 
keeps turmoil and frustration, the frustration of disagreement at a lower level. It makes your home more of a place of rest and retreat rather than just another battleground within your life. I don't know about you, but when I go to work, it's a battleground, right? I go to work at the church here, so some of you might laugh at that. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not lying. It can be a battleground. Some of you that go out into the marketplace of the world, it's really a bad gr- battleground. It's like you're going into places that, that are really tough to go into, and you're around people that are really tough to be around, and it's like, how do I live this Christian thing out? It's so hard, right, at work, and then you want to come home, and then you have another battleground. But God would have it that you would have an oasis to come to, a place of rest, a place where unity in your home is evident. All right. I mean, we have enough areas in our life where it feels like a war zone. There's not one of us who needs another one of those. And if you are one of those here today that happens, again, to live alone for whatever reason or or your family situation is unique, Again, you're not exempt from this message. Um, The point is, families are important. They are the very foundation of society and culture. Family was the first institution that God created. All right? That being said, let me read out of the message, Ephesians 5.21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Now, right off the bat, I need to make a point here. Verse and chapter numbers, and this is a little teaching, I guess, but verse, chapter numbers, and subtitles, and even punctuation marks within Scripture are not necessarily inspired of God. They were not a part of the original Scriptures. So Paul didn't, like, do a subtitle there and put verse numbers. And I mean, have you ever wondered, why are all these verse numbers in there? Who writes like that? You're like, here's another verse, you know? Those were added later. We, we, he wrote letters, And they were like a long, continuous letter. We put verses in later for the purpose of organizing and memorizing and understanding. We put those in there. And and it's a good thing. I'm glad they did, right? How would would you like if if it was all just one big paragraph, right? That'd be tough. So those things were added. And that's important to realize. It doesn't take away the authenticity of Scripture. It just helps package it and organize it in a way that we can more easily and readily find it and and, uh, understand it. So, um, placing a comma, though, in a wrong spot could actually change the meaning of the text. Have you ever thought about that? And as careful as the translators of Scripture were and still are, unintentional shifts can occur. Um, For instance, I'll give you one. In Isaiah 59, 19, the King James Version of the Bible declares this, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, comma, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. How many know that scripture? It's a wonderful scripture. It's absolutely true, right? It's a truth that we believe in and we stand on it. But if the comma was moved a bit, and that's the original one there, but if the comma was moved a little bit, it would say this, when the enemy shall come in, like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I kind of like that, right? But the comma wasn't necessarily inspired. And it doesn't really change the, the central meaning here, and I, I want to make that clear. It does, I'm not saying that Scripture is, is not accurate and it's not truthful, because it absolutely is absolute truth, right? It just is. And translators have done an amazing job. They were guided by God and all that. And this doesn't really change the meaning, but it definitely puts a different light on it 
Um, I, I think either one is right and true, but, but it kind of makes the point that sometimes little adjustments can give you new insight. And so the subtitle that, that this scripture that I just read to you this morning in Ephesians 5.21, um, that subtitle begins with, that, that it begins with, is a little different between versions of the Bible, which isn't a problem by any means. It doesn't take away the authenticity of it. The new, like for instance, the, the New Living Translation subtitle is Spirit-Guided Relationships, Wives and Husbands. And then it begins with verse 21, chapter 5, verse 21. The uh, New King James Version subtitle is Marriage. Marriage, no, not, not, mar- not that. Marriage, Christ and the Church. I've just seen if you're awake. Uh, and it begins with verse 22, not verse 21. Where the King James Version doesn't even have a subtitle here. The NASB subtitle is Marriage, Like Christ and the Church. And it also begins with verse 22. The ESV subtitle is Wives and Husbands. And it begins with verse 22 as well. The message subtitle here is Relationships. And it begins with verse 21. So there's even a difference of where they put the subtitles because that's not necessarily inspired. Are you following me this morning? So there's a subtitle in the message, and it's right above verse 21 instead of verse 22. And I think it's really, really important. It works either way because you basically, remember, out of respect for Christ, this is what the message version says, verse 21, be courteously reverent to one another. Some versions attach this to the previous conversation of relationships within the body of Christ, and some attach it to the conversation that is just getting opened up regarding family relationships. And guess what? Both are true. The scripture works either way. And it's truth either way. It's both, right? It's just where that subtitle is. And I'm going to attach this verse today to the latter for the purpose of study today. And the original Greek word here that is paraphrased in the message as courteously reverent is the word that I've talked about a lot in here, and you've heard me say it, but it's the word hupotasso, which is pronounced hupotasso. It's right there, right? It's pronounced hupotasso. In in most translated versions of the scripture, this word is translated to the English word submit. This isn't wrong, but it can be a bit confusing because of how we view that word submit. I want to just do something here quick. Jared and Devin, I didn't tell you to do this, but I'm I'm asking you now. Would you just come and stand in front of the platform right, right here just real fast? See, this, this verse says, submit yourselves to one another in most versions. You can, you can face each other. Hold your hands like you're getting married or something. And um, they, they are married if you don't know, so it's okay. Um, the verse says, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Other versions say, submit yourselves to one another, right? Submit. So, and then it says here in a little bit, the next verse is, wives, submit to your husbands. So, Jared, I want you to look into your eyes, and I want you to say, woman. Submit. Now, why are we laughing? Because we know that that's what you... Say, okay. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Exactly. You can give them a hand. You can see it. (laughs) That's kind of how we view that scripture or how it's been viewed and used because the Bible says what it says and that's what it means and it says submit. It means submit. But what if our understanding of the word submit is off? What if we view it through cultural differences other than, the, than what it was first intended? That's why scripture, when you really dig in and you get into this expository studies, you have to go back to what the writer originally intended. 
And then you also have to compare it with other scripture. Great hermeneutics, which hermeneutics means interpreting the Bible, right? That's Bible interpretation. Great hermeneutics always involves using scripture to interpret scripture. So you don't just come up with some random meaning. Otherwise, anybody can make the scripture think or say whatever they want by picking and choosing and putting it together. That's bad. That creates bad doctrine in the church. I don't want that. I want truth. Right? Do you? So we kind of think of that word submit, that word hupatasso, as woman submit. Because Paul says, and again, if that subtitle is above verse 21, it says, submit yourselves to one another. I think that plays into the idea that wives are supposed to submit to their husbands and men are supposed to submit to their wives. Ooh, how could you ever say that? That's what it says if the subtitle is above. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. You go to the next verse, and it says, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? We're going to get into that. Why did Paul say that to women? He told them twice then, right? Submit yourselves to one another, and wives, submit to your husbands. I want to get into that. This is a fun study for me to do. (laughs) Generally, again, we think of that word submit, hupatasso, which it's normally translated submit, which isn't wrong. It's just maybe our understanding is a little skewed. We, we, we think of that word meaning do whatever I say whenever I say to do it. This word, hupatasso, is a military term that means to undergird or come underneath one's mission in life and support and hold up that mission. That gives a different flair to it. How did you come up with that, Pastor Barry? Well, I took the King James Version of the Bible, which the Strong's um, Exhaustive Concordance uh, connects with, and so do most Greek and Hebrew lexicons, and you take and you, those verses at, out of the King James, and then you look at each word individually in the original language that was created, and each word has a definition attached to it. That, that's, that's how you really get into it, right? And so that word, where we find the word hupatasa, which is a Greek word, this was written in Greek originally, it says the definition. And one of those definitions is to come underneath and undergird one's mission in life. So he says, in verse 21, subtitle, wives and husbands, let's say, and then it goes right into verse 21. Submit yourselves to one another. Hupatasso yourselves to one another. Undergird one another's mission in life. Husbands, undergird your wife. Wives, undergird your husbands. And then it says, in verse 22, which we haven't even got to yet, we're going to get to it now, wives, undergird your husbands. Again, Come underneath, support, hold them up. We're going to get into a little bit of why here in a minute. We come underneath and support one another's mission in life and, and support and hold up that mission. We come underneath and support the mission of Christ as believers, don't we? How many know we're supposed to submit to Christ? That word is hupatasso again. Come underneath him and hold up his mission. Not that he needs us, but we get to do that, right? We get to be his salt and light in this world. So we hold up his mission. We support it. We come underneath. We live for him. We, we go after him. That's what that word means. We, and we tend to hang our hats on the coming under the authority part. Like we come underneath his authority and submit to his mission in life. Christ. And that works great for Jesus. We all think that. But then the Bible talks about doing it to one another. And we think, well, how can we do that? We're, we're, we're not perfect like Christ is. That's a tough one. How do wives, because he says it again in the next verse, how do wives do that for their husband when they're married to an imperfect man? 
Any wives married to an imperfect man in this place? Only one. Two? Three? Ooh, give me four, give me four, give me five. Give me five, give me, five, give me, five, give me six. You know. I mean, if you can't raise your hand on that for fear of your husband, then uh, you need to set an appointment with Pastor Jared and he'll straighten you out. All right? <laughs> Nobody's perfect. It's really tough. How do you submit to imperfection? We're going to get into that a little bit too. But um, we tend to hang our hats on that coming under the authority part, not so much on holding up and supporting the mission part. And both are true with that word. And so we got to kind of look at it and say, well, what does this mean? Submit again, or hupotasso one another in the sense of supporting one another's mission in life is a pretty monumental thing when you think about it. It's not do what I say when I say it. It's more like, let me come underneath and support who you are because I believe in you. That, that changes everything about that word. You know, I have been told, I usually ask when someone comes in and wants to do marital counseling and we get to that point where we plan the service. Some of you know, some of you are in here that have done this very thing. I'll say, you know, what scripture do you want me to use for your, for your ceremony? And they're like, uh, sometimes they don't have one and just pick one. Sometimes they say, I really like this one. And I have been told a number of times, Whatever you do, just don't pick that one in Ephesians that talks about submitting to. And I'm like, then, that's like my cue, like, okay, we're going to use that one, right? And I'm going to explain why we're using that one. Because it doesn't mean what people think it means. Not completely. It's monumental, if you think about it that way. And if we think about this verse as to being a part of the family relationship discussion, it has huge, huge implications for the relationships between husbands and wives. Undergirding one another's mission in life, that speaks of putting your spouse's needs above your own. It speaks to selfishness within marital relationships. I'm talking about verse 21, submitting yourselves to one another. Uh, you can't come underneath and support your spouse's mission in life if you are only concerned with them supporting your own. There's no place for selfishness, right? Selflessness becomes the key. Selflessness. And there's just no place for self-centeredness. So let me read verse 22. All the way through probably 20, yeah, this is just verse 22, I guess. Wives, understand and support your husbands. I'm reading out of the message version now. Other versions say, wives, submit to your husbands. This one says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. Wives, Understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to the church, hopefully. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. I think that's through verse 24, actually. And I've taught in reference to this scripture many times. It's common scripture used, again, in weddings that I've preached, but most of you have probably heard me talk about this hupotasso thing. But why does Paul say it twice to women? Verse 21, submit yourselves to one another. Husbands, submit to your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And then he says, wives, submit to your husbands. And their first thought is, maybe it's because he thinks women just aren't going to do that naturally. I think that's kind of what we go to. But I don't think that's true. Paul says for wives to submit, as most versions put it, and that is to mean, again, come underneath and support your husband's mission in life, but he says it 
because he's giving women, instead of giving women a strong reminder to hupatasso their husbands or submit to them, I think Paul was being incredibly transparent here. I think what he was doing is saying, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a secret. I'm gonna give you the secret sauce to marriage, women. And then he says something that I, I think if you, if you think about it long enough, you meditate on it a little bit, you realize some truths. Let me give you one of them. What is the most delicate, fragile, little flower petal of a thing in this world? A man's ego. (laughs) I'm not lying. You talk about fragile and delicate, a man's ego is delicate. I don't like saying that as a man. I don't like admitting that, but it's true. And Paul is saying, women, wives, if you submit to your husbands, here's the secret sauce. If you come underneath them and undergird them, guess what? They'll be twice the man they ever would be without you. You you won't bust their ego. And I'm not talking about pride. Okay, that's different. But you'll undergird them and support them. And you'll push them to new things. A man can be made by his wife who will undergird, a wife that will undergird him and support his mission in life. Likewise, an unsupportive wife, a wife who is continually pointing out all the negative things, will hold their husbands back from all they can be. And you know, I I just think that's such an oxymoron. I'm sorry to use that phrase. But why, if you're married to a man, would you want to do things that hurt him which ultimately hurt you? That doesn't make any sense to me. Like an undergirding, a coming underneath and supporting that person can make, it, make him so much better. And, and that translates to goodness in your home, unity in the home, however you want to put it. It, it, it translates for blessing for you. And it's not by mistake that Paul's letter, as it begins to shift to unity within the family, starts with a discussion on husbands and wives, right? That relationship is central to the home. That's how God intended it. And if you're in a household where that relationship has been severed by divorce or even by death, it's not that you can't succeed in your family. I don't want you to think that. The scripture's for everybody. If you're in a split home where your spouse has passed away and you're you're, you're raising kids, it just means you have to lean on Jesus a little bit more. He's the husband of the husbandless, right? So I, I, I don't want to single anybody out or, or, or leave anybody out of this discussion, but I, I think because of the state of the family in this country, it's got to be preached about. Even though half your congregation probably doesn't have a nuclear family the way that the, the church and, and Jesus first intended. Doesn't mean it can't be wonderful and blessed. And let, let me tell you this too. It, if, if you're in a situation like that, he will absolutely be there for you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He just comes beside you even more. You get more of Jesus' grace and mercy in your life because of that. And I think some of you have even expressed that to me when, when you've gone through situations like that. But it doesn't change the fact that God made the family central to our existence. He made marriage central to the family, and Christ needs to be central to the marriage. So, so here's my soapbox a little bit this morning. I am so sick and tired of child-centered homes. I mean, I'm sick of it. They don't function like they're supposed to, and the child grows up a bit spoiled thinking that everything revolves around them. 
Marriage-centered homes are God's design. I'm just going to say it like that. I'm not saying kids aren't important. We shouldn't love our kids. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. I'm just saying the central relationship in a home is husband and wife, by the way, male and female, with Jesus at the center of that relationship. That is central to the home. In fact, that is a family. Just that. You don't have to have kids to have a family. That term, well, we're going to start a family in a few years. No, you started a family the day you said, I do. That was the beginning of your family. Kids are a blessing and a joy and an overflow of what God is doing in your family. Let's get that right. That's scriptural. Amen? Am I preaching falsehood there? Am I preaching something you don't like? lost my place. Got going on my soapbox. Paul is talking to wives in these verses, and he's saying, at least in this verse 21, he's really talking to both, but he's kind of zeroed in, at least the first part of the verses, to wives. He's saying, let me give you the secret sauce to your success of marriage. Undergird him. Lift and hold him up. Be his biggest cheerleader, and watch that man of yours be the champion of your home like never before. Now, I'm going to get into some exceptions to that, because there are some exceptions to that. There is a wonderful book written, but before I do that, I want to talk about this. There's a wonderful book written by John Eldridge called Wild at Heart. Have you ever read it? Every man in this room, every man should read that book. You would do yourself a favor to read that book. You owe it to yourself and to your family to read that book, I'm telling you. It's that good. And it wouldn't hurt for wives to read it as well. But in it, it talks about how every man has a nagging question within them, a question that has to be consistently answered. And it's the question, am I good enough? It plays into that delicate ego thing. It plays into uh, what Paul is talking about here. And, and you, see this, you see this, am I good enough question in young boys as well as, as in older men. And when a wife realizes that her authentic undergirding, her real support for him, her coming underneath and holding him up, will always answer that question with, yes, you are, you're good enough, it will cap catapult her husband into a new confidence that he's never had before. He'll have increased energy to accomplish things, and it will literally become one of the main secret sauces for his success in achieving his mission in life. This is along the same lines as love and respect, if you remember that series that, that is a marriage series in reference to the differences in, in women and men. Women require love, which we will get into next week, but men need respect. It's like, it's like this thing in them that just they have to have it. And it answers that question for them, am I good enough? Can I be a little crass this morning? Are you okay with that? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm just a, I'm a farm kid. But you take two little young boys, you're driving down the road, and I've seen this, I've seen this with my own family, you know, the little, you're on a trip, a road trip, the bathroom's a long ways away, you got to stop the car and you got to go, right, to the bathroom. And so you, the, the little boys do, right? So they, they get out there and they're, they might be friends, they might be brothers, whatever, and you're on this trip, and they get on the back side of the car and they pee into the ditch, sorry about the crassness, and I'm telling you, just, just to be real honest, what's the first thing that happens? They start seeing who can pee the furthest. I mean... The great yellow arch, and I'm not talking about McDonald's. 
it goes. It starts out as a small arch and then becomes a very, like, the, like how is this kid doing this? You know, it's like, this is amazing. But it's like instant competition. And with a boy, a, a man, I, I'm telling you, it's like that in everything in life. It's like that, and there's comparison, and it's, it's competitiveness, and it's, I've got I've to answer this question. It's built within us. I think, I think it's part of the curse of Adam. I do. You shall work all the days of your life. You will toil all the days of your life. And so now you have to, there's always this thing, I have to provide. I have, not in every case, but just generally speaking, there's this drive within men. I've got to perform. I've got to outdo. I've got to succeed. I've got to, got to, got to, got to answer that question, am I good enough? It's just there. And I know it doesn't apply. Am I in the right spot here? I'm all over the place today. That's okay. I know it doesn't apply to everyone here, but wives, in this room, I, I, I just want you to do this for a second. Would you turn to your husbands, if you're married and your spouse is here, would you turn to your husbands? And again, I, if your husband's not here, if that's a sensitive thing to you, if he's passed away, I'm sorry, but I, I feel like family's so important, we need to do this. Would you, wives, just turn to your husbands. Is there anybody like that here? Wives and husbands, if you're sitting by each other, raise your hand. Yeah, there's a few of you out there, that's good. Turn to your husband's wives. Please, just do it right now. Turn right, look right into their eyes. Look right into his eyes. Wives, look into your husband's eyes. Stare him down, Devin. You got him going, there, there we go. And I want you to just say as you're looking deep, right, you're looking through him. I mean, you're looking into his very soul, right? Um, hold, hold the look, hold the look. Hold the look. That's hard, isn't it? Make you really uncomfortable, right? I've never looked at my husband this long in years. And say this, wives, say, you are amazing. And I believe in you. Not in your existence, okay, but in believe in your ability to do anything for our family. Did you do it, Devin? You did? How'd that make you feel, Jared? Made you feel nice, yeah. Give you a warm fuzzy. There's a, that, that, that's that kind of undergirding I'm talking about. Now, there's a caveat to this I said we'd get into, to, to that undergirding that, that wives are, are to extend to their husbands. It's in Ephesians, let's, let's read it again, 23 and 24 says this, the husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, the type of leadership that Christ exercises towards the church, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. It doesn't say that she has to blindly support him and come underneath him in any and everything he does. Paul immediately puts it back on husbands as, and that's what I love about the message version. It brings that out a little more clear. And it, it, it immediately puts it back on husbands. Wives, undergird your husbands. But husbands, you better be leading like Christ leads the church. Leads the church. That's an interesting caveat to it. If your wife is going to support you, you had better provide the kind of leadership that's worth supporting. Well, I would support her if she'd undergird me. I would lead her if she would undergird me. So, so what comes first, the chicken or egg? 
and then it becomes a, a kind of a difficult like fight, right? Who's going to do what first? Just, just forget all that. Wipe the slate clean. And, and wives, support your husbands in everything that you can support him in, morally and ethically. And, and when he does things for th that are Christ-like, you better be his biggest cheerleader, ladies. Even if he's not saved, and you're in that situation, but he does something that's Christ-like, you better be his biggest cheerleader. Don't be his biggest nag, because that's not going to work. I've never seen anybody nagged into the kingdom of God. Never seen it. But encouragement, undergirding, undergirding what you can undergird because it's Christ-like, you better do it. You better do it. And that can be hard. It can be frustrating. It can be years sometimes. It can be when do I and when don't I and what's the lines. I'm not saying there's any clear ones. You just better be full of the Spirit and be in prayer so you know when. You know, Pastor Calloway, God bless him and rest his soul, he used to say the greatest gospel song ever written was you got to know when to hold them. <laughs> know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. You got to know because you're in the spirit and you know what God's speaking to you. Don't try to do this life without being in the spirit. It's a waste of time. It's just waste. It's wasteful energy. It's, waste, it's a waste of energy. If you men, if your mission in life is to be supported by your wife, your leadership should be on the level of how Christ leads the church. At least that's what you should be shooting for, because I know you're not perfect. I'm not either. And that's a tall order. But don't start pointing the finger at your wife and say she's an unsubmissive, unsupportive woman without first doing a thorough examination of your own leadership. Is it comparable to, the Christ, to Christ's leadership of the church? That's the, that's the, that's the rub, right? That's where the, the two come together. And I can't submit because you're not like this. And that's the rub. And of course, it's not possible to be perfect, but you, are you shooting for perfection, cherishing her, and not just being domineering over her? You, you want to shut down your wife and make her somebody that, that really doesn't help you become better? Then domineer her, domineer over her, and, and just kind of marginalize who she is. Because she's got gifts and callings that can not only assist you, but exceed you, Right? I mean, the old phrase is, behind every great man, there's a woman rolling her eyes, right? <laughs> I, I'll change that. Behind every great man, there's a woman undergirding and supporting and holding him up. Whether it's prayer, whether it's just saying, baby, you're the greatest. Whether it's saying, you're amazing, I can't believe what you can do. You know? I mean... I, can I just get real transparent with you this morning? Are you all right with that? Okay, I'm going to get real transparent. Cameramen are freaking out right now because I got off the platform. This is my, this is my transparent, my transparent uh, posture. After church, I get all sorts of comments about preaching. Great message. Awesome job. You could have said this better. Here... Here's another scripture I could add to your message. It would have just been the icing on the cake kind of thing. All well and good. I'm fine with that. I'm not complaining about that. That's, that's the nature of, of being a pastor. But honestly, and I, I even hear from my staff. I talk to my staff Mondays, and they, they will let me know how I, how I do preaching, and I, I'm, I listen. But the one that really matters, the one every time I walk out of this building and go into the parking lot, 
Alyssa will grab my hand and she'll either say, that was awesome, or she'll say, it was good, and maybe it was a little long, but it was really good, or she'll, the only one I really care about is her. I'm just being transparent. I care about the others, but the, the one that really does the thing in me that makes me want to shine more, makes me want to become better. I think there was a, I think there was a line in a, in a movie, and I, I think it was, uh, I don't remember the name of the movie, I remember the line though. The, the, uh, the line is, a man looks at the gal and he says, you make me want to be a better man. That's what I'm talking about. A woman has that power to make her man want to be a better man. For those of you that are younger and you're trying to understand this, maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you're too young for this. I got to realize how old I am. Do you remember the Tobey Maguire movies? Uh, Spider-Man movies? Those first ones, right? Remember how good they were? We were like, yeah, Spider-Man. How many like Spider-Man? Yeah, he's always been my favorite. Okay, so Tobey Maguire is in the second one, and it's like MJ, right, the girl of his dreams. He, he decides he can't, he can't ever be in a relationship with her because he's got to do his Spidey work, right? And that'll put her in danger. But then she says for, she's going to get married to somebody else, but she runs away from her wedding, and she comes to him, and she says, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so sick of you telling me what I can do. I, I can do this if I want to. I can be this woman. That's my choice. And, and, and then all of a sudden, he hears sirens in the background. It's the end of the movie. And she looks at him, and she goes, go get him, Tiger. I don't know about you. That's motivation for any man, right? That's like, that's undergirding. You know what I'm talking about? That's like, Watch me fly now, baby. You know? And the next scene, he's swinging from, you know, buildings and all this other stuff. I just think you have to understand what Paul's saying here. And it's for the purpose, again, we're, we're, we're talking about this within in the home, unity within the home. You want unity in the home? You find every last little bit of, 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 of whatever that you can support and undergird in your husband, and you do it, women. You do it. I'm going to pick on the men next week. I'm not going to leave them out. But this is important stuff. These are difficult things, though, even for the most Christ-centered marriage. But whatever specific situation you find yourself in as a wife, Remember that if your husband is truly going to succeed and be all he can be, he absolutely needs your undergirding. Your support of who he is as a man and his mission in life, I know, I know he isn't perfect. Boy, do I know that. I have to look at an imperfect man every time I look in the mirror. But support him in his efforts to be godly. Support him in that. Don't walk out of here feeling like I shamed you. Please don't, because that's not my intent. If you feel that way, you need to come talk to me because you missed what I was saying. Unity in the home, oneness in the family, is absolutely worth the effort. It's worth the push. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to close with that. And uh, you know, I want to say, go get him, Tiger, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> let's pray. Stand, in, if you would, and let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much that you are 
our source. God, that you desire for us to, to be unified even in our homes, to be one. God, I pray that even as we've just scratched the surface of this with the undergirding, the submission, the, the hupatasso, God, of, of that husband-wife relationship where husbands undergird their wives and their mission in life and wives undergird their husbands and then wives are reminded again because it's the secret sauce to their husband's success in life. Lord, I pray that you would, you would burn that truth within us and that you would give us the ability to know when and, 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 and what part of those, our husband's lives that, that these wives can support. Lord, I, I just, uh, I ask you to move mightily in our families and our marriages. Lord, they're central to everything within our nation. And God, I pray that you would just give us that ability to, to sort it all out and flow in your spirit and do what we know is right. God, we worship you today, we honor you, and I, I just ask you, Lord, to bless each and every marriage in this room today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.